Welcome to In-Depth Studies Weekend. In-Depth Studies is the teaching ministry of Jeff Volker, which seeks to equip the believer with a theological foundation. All teaching is from the point of view of the doctrines of grace and new covenant theology. Thank you for joining us for another edition of In-Depth Studies Weekend. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Volker, who is director of In-Depth Studies. Jeff, we ended last week's show talking about fairness. Well, we can go there, but we were looking at Romans chapter 9, where Paul is dealing with the issue of, you know, above Israel and their unbelief and so forth. Um, where are we going to go today? Well, we want to, well, of course, why we were in Romans 9, beginning at verse 22, was really not to discuss the fairness issue, though we did address that in a li- limited sense last week, but it was to get to this point of how does uh, the uh, God interpret his own word, and that in particular, how does the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, interpret Hosea, these two passages in Hosea chapter 1 and Hosea chapter 2? Because here in Romans 9, it says that God, that he, the, he calls to himself in verse 24, uh, not only Jews, but also Gentiles. And then he says in verse 25, as he says in Hosea, quote, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. Now, as soon as he says that, as we're sitting here in, as the reader, we would, the question that is asked is, who are the not my people? Mm-hmm. And Everybody that I've ever asked this to, as well as myself in my own reading, is that well, that's the Gentiles, because Israel was always the people of God, and now in this time, you know, after Pentecost, as the gospel goes out, now the Gentiles are being included in. So they're the Johnny come lately, as it were, of the people of God. So you say, well, that's pretty simple. The problem here is that there is the quotation in Romans 9, 25 and 26, of two passages from the Old Testament, two prophetic passages. They are from Hosea chapter 1 and Hosea chapter 2. Hosea 1 is the, uh, that's the chapter 1, verse 10. Hosea 2, chapter 2, verse 23. So in order to understand how Paul is handling these passages, we need to first go back to the book of Hosea. And that uh, is crucial and as we go back to the book of Hosea, we need to understand what's going on in its original context. And of course, at this point, that's not a difficult thing to do because the book of Hosea is fairly simple uh, in its outline. Paul is, I mean, the, excuse me, the, the Lord uh, chooses this prophet, Hosea, this, this fellow, and he tells him he is to marry this woman, Gomer. Now, we're not going to discuss the merits of her name. Golly. No, we're not, we're not going to do that. Nope. Resist that temptation. Uh, but I don't know of anybody that I know, who, especially parents who want to choose biblical names for their children. No one I've ever heard has ever picked Gomer. But no. that's beside the point. So in, this, in the book of Hosea, this gal that Jose is told to marry, Gomer, and he is told ahead of time that she is going to be an unfaithful wife. She is going to be involved in immorality from the get-go. She is going to be, you know, uh, having illicit sex with all sorts of people, 
prostitute herself to people, and Jose is told to keep keep loving her, keep going after her, that kind of a thing. And, of course, what this is then in this context, this is the history of Israel. Mm. God chooses them, sets his love upon them, gives them tremendous benefits that all the other nations don't get, but they rebel. They they go, you know, their hearts go astray, you know, because the picture in the Old Testament— uh, Physical immorality is a picture of spiritual immorality, that kind of a thing. So that's really the context of the book of Hosea, and no one really disputes that. But so the problem is, is that these passages uh, that were, were that are quoted in Romans 9, it doesn't seem, at least at first look, as though the Apostle Paul is, is uh, really taking seriously their original context. That's the problem. And we know that the Apostle Paul, it says clearly he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and so he cannot be misusing Scripture. He cannot be missing it. That's not possible. So let's examine these two quotations from Romans 9 that are from the book of Hosea. And we will begin with uh, the very beginning in chapter 1, and of course the uh, right after it, it speaks of Hosea, Mary is told to marry, and he does, Gomer, and then she has a son. So let's p- pick it up in verse 4, the account. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call him, that is his son, Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu, which is the northern kingdom Israel, for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. It's going to bring judgment, physical judgment on the northern kingdom. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. And of course, we know that historically that happened when the Assyrians, 722 B.C., came and they destroyed the northern kingdom. Then verse 6 says, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah. For I will no longer show love to the house of Israel, that I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to the house of Judah, and I will save them, not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but by the Lord their God. So what he's saying is, okay, she, Gomer has now a daughter, and uh, this they're supposed to give her this strange name, Lo-Ru-Hamah, which means God no longer loves them. That refers to the northern kingdom. He's still going to show some kindness to the southern kingdom because we know that wasn't destroyed until 586 B.C. by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar. Then it picks up. So it's giving just an historical account. Verse 8 says, After she had weaned Lo-Ru-Hamah, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo-Ami which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet, now this is the verse, next verse, verse 10. This is the verse that's quoted in Romans 9. Yet the Israelites will, will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. Okay. Now, what it's saying is, is that there's going to come a time in the future after God gets done judging Israel when he's going to bring them back into the land and bless them. 
And okay, so and that's now in this context where it says in the place where it was said to them, this is in verse latter part of verse ten, you are not my people, they will be called sons of the living God. So in this context, the people who are not my people, that's the northern kingdom Israel. And what he's saying is first the northern kingdom goes bad and God judges them. So they were his people then they become not his people. And then at some time in the future, he's going to bring them back into the land, and they will once again become his people. But it's all about ethnic Israel, okay? But the problem is, is that that's not how Paul takes it, because he's talking about Gentiles. The not my people, that's referring to Gentiles. And so you have, in the original context in Hosea, talking about ethnic Jews. In the Romans 9, 25, he's talking about Gentiles in the New Covenant era. How do you square that? You know, and of course, before we go a little further, let's take this, at least get a handle on the second quotation of the uh, book of Hosea, which is chapter 2, verse 23. And once again, this is the same sort of um, historical situation that is described as chapter 1. In fact, is the NIV gives a little heading right before uh, Hosea 2.2, 2, and it, the heading is Israel punished and restored. Now, we know that's not uh, part of the actual original text, but, that's, but it's very accurate as to what's being described. Mm-hmm. So it's saying the same thing. Um, and so we're... we're Let's pick it up again in Hosea twenty, Hosea chapter 2 with verse 21. And he's talking about after he gets done judging them, now he's going to bring them back into the land. So verse 21 says, In that day I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies, and they will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain the new wine and oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her, that's Israel, for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Once again, here he's recounting Israel's history and their future, saying, okay, God judges the people that were called the people of God, Israel, in this context, the northern kingdom. They get destroyed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And then at some time in the future, he's going to replant them back into the land. And once again, they are now going to be his people. So they were his people. They were not his people. Now they will become his people. But it's all Israel, Israel, Israel. So that's both of the sections, Hosea 1.10, Hosea 2.23. It's pretty straightforward in the original context of the book of Hosea. But that brings us back to Romans chapter 9. This is not so easy. Because remember, let's pick it up in verse 23 of Romans 9, because Paul, once again, is answering the question, well, then why did God create the non-elect if he had no intent on saving them? And, of course, the answer is they have a part to play in his plan. 
Verse 23 says, What if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory? And of course, what we had talked about, he created them because they have a part to play in the salvation of his elect, the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory. And then he's going to describe who those people are, even us, whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. As he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. It seems so straightforward that the Gentiles, who were never the people of God in any sense of the meaning of the term, are now going to become the people of God. That seems so obvious, just as in the book of Hosea, it seems so obvious that he's just talking about ethnic Israel at every point, the regathering of Israel back into the land. But the people who are not my people in Romans 9 are the Gentiles. So how do we square this? This, I think, is crucial to be in, in understanding. Uh, I, I, let me rephrase that. It's crucial to our gr- grasping how the old relates to the new or how we are to view Israel in the plan of God. This is crucial, of which Hebrews, going back to our original subject, the New Covenant, Hebrews 8 and 10, in quoting Jeremiah 31, they assume we understand what's going on. And, of course, this is what's going on. Israel, ethnic Israel, in the Old Covenant era, from Mount Sinai to the cross, functions as a picture, an unbelieving picture of the real people of God. And the real people of God is made up of Jews and Gentiles, mostly Gentiles with a little bit of Jews. And so when Paul quotes Hosea 1 and 2 as referring to the regathering of Israel back into the land, he's referring to the fulfillment of that prophecy as being in the spiritual Israel, the real Israel of God. That is the real people of God. And that is mostly Gentiles. And so, in this context, the fulfillment of Hosea 1 and 2 has nothing to do with ethnic Israel and a literal land of Palestine. It has everything to do with the real people of God, Jews and Gentiles, who are mostly Gentiles, and they are taken into a land that never ends. First heaven, then the new heavens and the new earth. So you have picture fulfillment. And that is the most crucial thing we need to understand as to how does our Bible hang together. And we wouldn't know all of this without, as you said last week, if we were just reading the Old Testament and just reading these uh, Hosea and Jeremiah and other, other prophecies in context, we would never figure this out. No, and we have to be honest. If we just had our, an Old Testament, mm-hmm. a Hebrew Bible, we would uh, we would agree with I would agree with dispensationalists. I would say that no, I would take those prophecies just as they are. Uh, of course, I would just as I would have expected Elijah to come back literally. Mm-hmm. But now in the new, we referred to last week that prophecy about Elijah returning at the end. Jesus says no, that's John the Baptist is the fulfillment of that. So God interprets His own word. 
In the same way, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us that Israel is a temporary, unbelieving picture of the people of God. And so the prophecy regarding the regathering of Israel back into the land is not fulfilled literally, it's fulfilled spiritually. And that's not, we are not imposing an idea on Scripture. We are simply observing how does God interpret his own word, which is when we talk about, you know, how we interpret Scripture, that's the subject of hermeneutics. We don't want to impose something on Scripture. We want to observe how does God interpret his own word. So that's, uh, and admittedly, I don't want to sort of minimize the, the issue. This is a, sometimes tough for people to swallow because you get so wrapped up into this idea that a prophecy to ethnic Israel must of necessity have a literal fulfillment. And I would say that's a great idea. That's just, that's just not how the Bible handles the prophecies regarding the regathering of Israel back into the land. It doesn't do it that way. Right. Yeah, I, I, I was just looking as we're sitting here uh, talking about this uh, back in Romans 9, verse 14, kind of back to what we talked about at the end of last week's show about, gee, that's not fair and all that nonsense, yeah. where he says, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have com- compassion on whom I have compassion. We can never lose sight of who God is. We always want to put God into our little box, make God some kind of a human critter, and clearly he's not. We can't understand him. No, you're right. That is probably the fundamental mistake that as believers we make. We Mm -hmm. think God is, in some sense, an extension of ourselves, just bigger, better, stronger to the Mm -hmm. 20th power. But that's false. He in only we are only in some very limited ways made in his image. That is, we have rationality and we have moral sensibility because we're made in his image. But other than that, no, we don't. He is he is in his being different than we are. He can do things that we can't do because we described, you know, just we were in passing in Romans nine where it talks about God determines who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, and yet he holds responsible the individuals for their choices mm-hmm. of whether they are in heaven or hell. And we are, we, we're perplexed by that because we can't do that, but he can do that. And we just, once again, it's being reminded he's not like us. And so in this issue of how we interpret Scripture, we do need to learn to pay attention. How does God interpret his own word? Right. And it seems so far, as, we, as we've been walking through some of these Old Testament prophecies in the New Testament and figuring out how they're, how they're really to be applied, is this always the case, that, that when we come to some of these, we go, wait a minute, that's sure not what it looks like in the Old Testament? Right. Or are there cases where it's pretty straightforward? Oh, yes. Uh, what we would say is that unless Scripture tells us Otherwise, mm-hmm. we take it. At, we take every scripture at face value, unless it tells us otherwise. Of course, we do. Right. But here we're say, we are simply saying scripture is telling us otherwise. So, to going back to that, you know, the famous prophecy of Elijah to come that Jesus says John the Baptist fulfills. To take it any other way would be unbiblical. Mm. 
and because because we are now imposing on Scripture an idea of how a prophecy ought to be fulfilled that is foreign to God. So we're not saying that every prophecy is fulfilled spiritually. No, we're not saying that at all. What we are saying is that the re- the prophecies regarding the regathering of Israel back into the land, those are fulfilled spiritually. But we're not using that, and I know the mistake is made by some well-meaning brothers who are teachers, that because they see this here, they somehow think that means that I have a freedom that when I see a prophecy in the Old Testament about the, about the future, that I have the freedom to interpret it spiritually and no you don't right that's been a, uh, i know in in my years as a you know calvinist what have you uh reformed thinker that i've i've been accused of that oh you just spiritualize everything you just want to spiritualize the whole old testament and that is a mistake yes it is definitely although i do love metaphor you know oh. i love allegory <laughs> and metaphor i mean of course we do we like uh, literary figures oh, love you know it. Yeah. and uh, so we will get into that as we progress through right. it may be helpful uh in, in this sometimes awkward discussion of those you know the passages regarding the regathering of israel back into land how they're fulfilled not literally uh let's take another example because mm. i think uh it's important to do this. Turn to Galatians chapter 4. And this is a, a, a section of Scripture that we typically don't go to for this. This is that allegory of Hagar and Sarah. We've been here before because it talks in terms of the Old and the New Covenant. Mm. But for our purposes, we want to... Uh, let me just summarize what's going on. and then, But we want to focus on an Old Testament quotation in verse 27. <clears throat> so it it takes these uh you know Sarah and Hagar okay those are Abraham's wife and his his servant gal and it says verse 24 it says these these things may be taken figuratively for the women represent two covenants one covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves this is Hagar Now, Hagar stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. Okay, but Jerusalem that is above is free and she is our mother. So let's stop there, give a quick summary. It's comparing, contrasting two covenants, the old and the new. Hagar stands for the old covenant, that is a works covenant that produces unbelievers, that is those who are in slavery. To their sin, whereas Sarah represents the new covenant, the work of Jesus on the cross, and the hearers who are believers there that Paul's writing to at Galatia, he says, She is our mother. And of course, that's the issue. But then it's gonna he quotes uh Isaiah 54 1. For it is written, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children, break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. If you go back to Isaiah 54, it's talking about God's judgment on Israel, and then the future, he's going to to regather them back into the land. That is, this famous storyline. He chooses Israel, he blesses them, they rebel, then he judges them, 
then he's going to regather them back into the land. Isaiah 54, it says, after God gets finished judging Israel, they are like a woman who has no, who is barren, who cannot have children. But then in the future, he's going to gather them back into the land, and then she'll be like the woman who was barren, but now she has more children than of, of a, a woman who could always have children. Mm-hmm. And of course, the whole idea is, this is the new covenant. This is the new covenant. So what? once again, what he's saying is that this prophetic language in Isaiah 54, verse 1, about God showing his future blessing to Israel after he gets done judging them, this is talking about the new covenant era, because that's what the Apostle Paul is describing here. This is... Uh, this is the era of the cross. This is the era of belief. This is the era of the Spirit that produces the real people of God. And, and it's the same thing that we discussed in Jeremiah 31 as well as Hosea 1 and 2, the same thing. Mm-hmm. In its original context, it's talking about the judgment on Israel and their rejection, then brought back into the land. But it's quoted by the New Testament author as being fulfilled in the church in the New Covenant era not in ethnic Israel, not in a literal land of Palestine. It is picture fulfillment. And that is uh, important to get a handle on. Yeah, but you, and, and it's fascinating because you do see that theme running throughout the New Testament and the teaching passages. Absolutely. You see that repeated over and over. So we have to be sensitive to that. Yes, we have to observe how does God interpret his own word. Good stuff. Talk to you next week. If you have any questions about today's program, want more information, or would like to support our ministry, you can find us on the web at ids.org or call us at 480-924-4290 or email jeff at jeff.volker at ids.org. 